If my neighbors on both sides decide to swap out their gasoline-powered vehicles for EVs, um, and, and then the grid, you know, starts to try to catch up over the next 18 to 24 months, is there a chance that my AC and my lights could go out in between them as as, as the uh, supply and demand on the grid gets tighter? Yes, that, that's absolutely true. So, so that I should call them then. If, if my neighbors get EVs, I should call them and say, hey, make sure we have enough power going in the hood here. Yeah, I think that that's absolutely fair. Welcome to Yolitics, the home of cold beer and hot takes on Texas politics. Hey there, happy July 4th holiday. Uh, special episode of Yolitics. Every episode of Yolitics is special. This is a holiday special for Yolitics. <laughs> I'm glad what, you, what are you drinking that for the up. holiday, man. Yeah, I mean, hey, what, what are you drinking for the holiday, dude? Uh, I uh, just went with a Texas style Bach uh, amber lager from Community. Um, what kind of fruit is in that one? Man? There is no fruit in this one, so this is going to be different. It's just I a lager, just a straight up lager. You sip a couple of sips out of that, it's going right down the drain, bro. <laughs> How about you? What are you having? I, I'm, I'm actually having uh, one for you. This is uh, Paleta de Mango. Oh, yeah. I like that one. Which I think translates to mango chili beer with lime. If oh, my yeah, because it's written on there. there. Well, uh, that doesn't really translate <laughs> over because uh, chili is nowhere in the, uh, the other version there. And it's this... Paleta de Mango. <laughs> this I is hate having to fix your Spanish. Uh, I know you always do, man. Roaring Sons. You know what? I noticed that I only drink um, Four Corners and Roaring Sons all the mm. time. But mm. I, I had a, a friend over recently from Japan, and my beer is chock full of Japanese beer. Oh, nice. And I have like three Texas beers left. So I'm going to have to make the switch over to Kieran or Sapporo here for one of these episodes soon. Whitely, you're so worldwide. Friends just scattered all over, near and far. It, but but you can tell how worldly I am with my Spanish. <laughs> I know. You need to get out a little bit more, though. Yeah. Um, That's so, good. So, uh, you know, we, we heard that little <laughs> snippet there a second ago. Yeah. So th- that's an, an energy expert. We're going to get, you know, get into a little more here in just a moment. But th- the question here is, as you're out and about for the July 4th holiday, you're having to fill up with gas. I finally just hit the $100 mark uh, filling up with gas the other day. And it, wow. I almost one tank. Up. Doing that one tank, wow. hundred bucks, hundred one dollars and twenty three cents. I'm like, this this is insane. So the question now is, and, and stats bear this out, that our gas prices, the high gas prices we're seeing now, are they driving more people to look at and to consider buying electric cars? It's the stats say, yeah, that's actually happening. It's interesting um, that you say that because I actually what? have something you, pulled up right in front of me here, and it's from. Are car, these the same stats I have? I, I, what, I don't do you know. Have? Probably not. You probably have better ones, but this is from Car and Driver, <laughs> uh, and this uh, comes from they're citing uh, Experian here, which you know knows everything about this kind of stuff. Uh, it, it says that um, electric vehicle registrations in the U.S. shot up sixty percent in the first quarter of this year. They went up sixty percent, and you go, okay, well, how about regular vehicles? No, they say overall new car mm. registrations dropped 18%, but yet you see these electric vehicles just it's yeah. shooting through the roof. And, and sales of electric vehicles, according to the uh, uh, EIA, the Energy Institute Administration, I believe, is that what that is, Wheeler? EIA? No, it's, it, it's uh, something else. Yeah, it's something else, but it, it's, it's, uh, it's this, this federal organization. Uh, year over year sales from May of 2022, looking back to May of 2021, 
plug-in vehicles, EVs, electric vehicles, they're up, the sales of them are up 45.5% year over year. When we get the June numbers out, probably any day now, I bet we see another increase there too because these gas prices are just insane and people are looking for relief somewhere. Yeah, uh, and so uh, that's what we're talking about today. And by the way, EIA is Energy Information Administration. And, and that uh, came from our producer, not from your knowledge or from Wikipedia. I there, just that, typed that, it in, actually. Yeah, um, whatever, and, dude. So here's the here's the thing, though. Uh, we know that you know people are feeling it right now. You're feeling it, you know, in terms of electricity at home, and this all deals with energy. You're dealing with this with electricity at home, especially if you're one of the unlucky ones having to choose a new plan right now because it has shot up, like you know, in some cases, like fifty percent since February. <laughs> Uh, you're going out to fill up your car and you're finding that, you know, like Whiteley, maybe you've hit that hundred dollar mark on one tank. Uh, thank goodness I haven't gotten there yet. Um, and, and, and so you're feeling it everywhere. Maybe that's making you think of an electric car. Uh, but what is that going to mean for the grid here in Texas if everybody gets an electric car and starts plugging in? So there's a lot going on here, but let's start with gas because I think that that's on a lot of people's minds. Uh, and we understand that there's a not so good prediction about that here in Texas, too. So on the line with us right now uh, is a, an economics professor from my alma mater, the University of Houston. His name is Ed Hers. He is uh, the energy fellow at U of H. And this guy is plugged into anything having to do with energy. Uh, welcome to the program, uh, Professor Hers. Uh, let's start with gas and what your thoughts are about that. You know, I'm thinking that we're going to see $6 gas by, by Labor Day. Um, I really, yes, I, and I really think that the trip to Saudi Arabia is, is not going to be fruitful. The rig count in the Middle East is still off by more than 25% from pre-pandemic levels. I don't think there's any excess capacity in OPEC that can be brought here. And, and, and it's not like we're friends with the Saudis. Um, and so they're enjoying the high price as, as much as you know, anybody in the Permian. And, and they're happy to keep it that way. Um, the domestic refineries, though, really don't earn large margins. So we're not going to see a lot of, of new refinery development. The biggest one that's going in is a 250,000 barrel a day expansion at the Exxon Mobil Beaumont refinery. And they only did that after they had acquired a big Permian play uh, uh, position so that they could ensure that they were going to have that steady supply of, of lighter crude oil that they could get from the shale place. Um, we've lost a bunch of refineries here in the United States because it really just doesn't make a lot of sense to, to reinvest in them. Um, several have been for sale for years that nobody wants to buy. The Monroe facility that Delta has has been on the market for more than five years. The uh, Lyondale Basil facility in Houston has been on the market for a couple of three years. They're going to close it uh, very soon. Uh, Shell closed two refineries because of, of storm damage. Uh, other companies have, have done the same. Um, you know, looking ahead, if we see a drop in, in demand that's, that's coming, I can certainly, as a refinery owner, if I put myself in the place of a refinery owner, not want to, to make any new investments. So high gas prices, uh, even higher in the next couple of months and maybe staying there for a while. Yeah, I think we can expect high gasoline prices. The last time I talked to you, 
you were getting close to your electric plan uh, expiring. A lot of people in Texas have been going through that, and they have been getting absolute sticker shock when they get on the Power to Choose site where you can choose a different electric provider and seeing the electricity rates, which have just skyrocketed over the last year. That's absolutely true. Uh, I haven't pulled the trigger on one yet. You know, I'm looking at a at a easily 70, 75% price increase. But as I've, I've watched the price of natural gas drop a little bit because of the, the interruption in uh, uh, demand because of the explosion at the Freeport LNG facility, I'm, I'm optimistic that the price of gas will fall a little bit more and maybe we'll have a, a better look at the price for the next year on uh, electricity. So you see natural gas going down in price over the next year. Uh, and a, a lot of uh, the the price of electricity is driven by natural gas because we use a lot of it for electricity here in Texas. So if somebody's in the same predicament where their plan's expiring, maybe maybe next year looks better. Maybe you go with that year-long plan and just bite the bullet for one year. Exactly. I'm thinking that uh, uh, yeah, the marginal cost of producing additional natural gas is not more than a, a dollar and a half per thousand cubic feet. And uh, as we've seen in, in periods of time where the, the price has jumped considerably, uh, eventually the producers get the rigs out in the field and, and bring the uh, uh, production to market. Plus we have a lot more associated gas coming out of the Permian. Uh, this this, this mm -hmm. elevated oil price has really driven um, new production, new new drilling activity across the U.S. It's um, not as fast as it could have been. Uh, there's a there's a lack of steel uh, due to supply chain issues, and and it's certainly more costly to drill these wells. But we we are seeing increased activity week in week out. Yeah. Well, good luck with uh, choosing that uh, electric plan there, Ed. <laughs> well, everyone out in the Permian Basin out in West Texas want, wants to make money off this uh, this expensive oil and gas. H have the Rolls-Royce dealerships reopened in Midland like they do every cycle? <laughs> I haven't been out there. Uh, <laughs> okay. You know, the, the, the one place I go is, is boom and bust, uh, uh, agnostic. Yeah, Bob's Better Burgers. Uh, that's the place to be. <laughs> ah, okay. Well, listen, w w Wheeler <laughs> mentioned this, and I, I thought it was a great idea for a podcast about how, you know, th there's this big push um, to get more people in electric vehicles. And when you see the price of gasoline, um, it, it's like, wow, do I want to, you know, make that trip to the store? Do I want to wait a week and, and have everything ready to go and, and run 10 <laughs> errands at once? Um but but Wheeler said he was talking to you, Ed, and you mentioned that, you know what, you can bring on as, as many electric cars as you want and, and you know, try to charge them up. But the, the Texas electric grid is just not ready for this yet. Is, is that the case? Yeah, there's there's certainly some truth to this. Um, the grid is is a is is a, is also a mechanical device. Um, the transformers, the substations, the the. Uh, uh, require cooling. The transformers do. They sit in a bath of, of mineral oil all day long. Um, that sounds like grid, Wheeler. It sounds like Wheeler's day too, sitting in the bath of mineral oil. But go ahead. <laughs> well, and our, uh, you know, for example, our 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 transformer in the backyard blows up almost every eighteen months routinely. Uh, you know, somebody's plugged in one more phone and, and it just kicks off. The air conditioning got reset. 
and it can happen any time of year. Uh, as we go to more and more level demand throughout the day, uh, this equipment needs to be changed out. It needs to be upgraded because it's, it's designed to cycle up to hot and then cool off at some point during the day. Um, failing to do that, keeping it running at a, if you'll forgive me, a high boil, uh, it's just going to lead to more fatigue and a, and a rapid uh, decline. Well, break that down for us. Are we talking about specifically uh, substations? We're talking about transmission lines need to, be, need to be upgraded. Electrical producers need to produce more electricity. What specifically needs to be tweaked or added to in order to, uh, to have me and Wheeler go out and buy an electric car? Really, it's going to be the infrastructure. You know, first of all, yeah your house is likely going to require an upgrade in service. Um, if everyone on our street were to add a, an electric vehicle, uh, trade out one of the, the, the gasoline-fired cars that they have for an electric vehicle, that would add additional load during the night. Um, that would probably work really well for the generation profile that we have in Texas with the, uh, a high wind contribution over overnight. And it would, of course, level out demand for the rest of the, the generators across the grid. That actually could be beneficial. Uh, and, and as we add this demand to the grid, it would, of course, increase the price that everybody pays. When do you think this might be ready, Ed? Because with $5 a gallon gas, I, I got to tell you, electric cars seem a lot more appealing to me right now. Well, when will Texas be up and ready for more EVs on the road? Well, I don't know. I, I think it's it's not an urgent matter just yet because everybody who's making electric vehicle is selling all they can. Uh, uh, Tesla, uh, Ford, General Motors, uh, Toyota stumbled a bit. Um, but as we see that develop, it's it's a hundred thousand here, two hundred thousand there. We're not quite up to to making a significant dent in the the nation's fleet. Um, the the average life of a car in the U.S. is about 12 years. So if, if, if I can't imagine that we're going to have a wholesale change in the composition of the fleet in, in five years time, but maybe over eight to 10 years, we could see this transition really developing and, and gaining an awful lot of momentum. Um, so, Ed, I, I'm curious. It's almost like there's a race going on here. We know that car makers have had a real struggle uh, putting out enough vehicles just because of supply chain issues. Um, so that has slowed things down. But, you know, what if they really kick into gear? We know that GM has been very aggressive uh, in trying to, to get electric vehicles to market. Tesla, of course, uh, based here in Texas now, uh, is looking to ramp things up. Uh, what if they really start cranking these cars out, uh, you know, and Ford, my goodness, the F-150 Lightning, that's going to be hugely popular here in Texas. What if they really start to crank these things out? Um, how fast can this grid get up to speed here to be able to handle uh, a great influx uh, of electric cars? I mean, is that transformer behind your house going to be in some trouble uh, again if you have, you know, three more neighbors who decide to get I'm, I'm sure I'll have a new transformer before they do. Uh, I, I, you know, this is a great, great question. Uh, and who's going to pay for it? Is it going to be the consumer or the taxpayer? You know, currently, the taxpayer is going to install a bunch of charging stations around the state 
And that's a great idea. You don't have to go to, you know, the Collins Street Bakery in Corsicana and hook up where there are four or five different charging stations. Actually, each one set for a different manufacturer. Um, the Ford Lightning, I think they're planning to, to build 200,000 units of these. Um, that's, that's outstanding, but they still have a, you know, the bulk of their fleet are these things that, that run at 14, 15 miles per gallon. You know, ouch. Mm-hmm. Um, the you know uh, that transition has to happen first, and Tesla, for example, is is unable to really ramp up their production in Texas because they don't have access to the battery um, materials that they require. And so the the cars in Texas, the cars that they're making in California, actually right now are are have different battery configurations. Uh, that supply chain is critical to getting the electric vehicles onto the uh, uh, the market. And I would, I my expectation is that the grid development, the grid repurposing, if you will, or, or renovation, um, can happen uh, in in arrears of the cars going on the market, as opposed to trying to get out in front. Um, it, you know. Electric vehicles have made sense on a a pennies per mile basis for more than 10 years. The the only challenge for the consumer has been the idea of range. Um, For anyone driving from here to downtown, uh, one charge should take take you through uh, two weeks. Um, A hurricane evacuation is something different. Yeah, indeed. So, well, let me ask you, you said that the, the grid could catch up later on to EVs, if I heard you right. If I get if my neighbors on both sides decide to swap out their gasoline powered vehicles for EVs um, and, and then the grid, you know, starts to try to catch up over the next 18 to 24 months. Is there a chance that my AC and my lights could go out in between them as as, as the uh, supply and demand on the grid gets tighter? Yes, that, that's absolutely true. Um, you know, I, I don't know who your local distribution company is. Is it Encore? It's Encore, uh, yeah. Encore. Yeah. So Encore yeah. in in the city is a regulated utility. And you know, they get a, a regulated rate of return, a cost of service return. You know, for them, it makes sense to get in front of this and begin the investment to start putting out the new transformers, to upgrade the substations, to, to be planning ahead because essentially they they can spend this capital and always make sure that they're going to be able to get a rate of return. Um, calling them up and saying, hey, my two neighbors have put in four electric vehicles and everything drags in the middle of the night, uh, you know, they are duty bound and contractually bound to come out and fix that local distribution area. So, so that I should call them then. If, if my neighbors get EVs, I should call them and say, hey, make sure we have enough power going in the hood here. Yeah, I think that that's absolutely fair. Um, I mean, we've had issues with new houses being built in the neighborhood and uh, having, having been an electronic shop in high school, yeah, I could go out and check the, the voltage and the frequency. And it was, yeah, we got down to 108 volts and and the frequency was was uh, uh, dropping below 59 hertz which which indicates there's a challenge and eventually we lost one of the three phases across the neighborhood um, that burned out some appliances 
Centerpoint wound up having to replace the appliances and upgrade the, the delivery system to the neighborhood. I think that's what we're going to wow. see. And, and this is all going to fall on Encore. It'll fall on Centerpoint, Austin City, uh, CPS in San Antonio. And, and then that'll aggregate up to requiring more, more supply from the ERCOT grid. We need you as a neighborhood. That's what I said. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Wheeler. That's what I was going to ask you, though, uh, Ed, is, you know, OK, so great. They, you know, they upgrade the stuff around your house. Will there be enough power, though, too? You know, the, the, I think there's a lot of power uh, electricity insecurity here in Texas because of what happened in February of 2021. And we've had a couple of scares since then. Uh, is there enough to go around? You know, let's say that, you know, if people do start adopting a, electric vehicles, which, as you say, uh, are a much better, more efficient deal than driving uh, a gasoline car and have been for years, you know, and, and, and then there's the environmental uh, aspect of it. A lot of people have been adopting it for that. Will there be enough electricity to go around, though, to, to power all of these if you do get that local infrastructure? In uh, right now, we, we couldn't handle it. We're, we're too tight. Uh, the, the dispatchable fleet of generators, the natural gas, the coal, the nukes, and the, and the small amount of hydro that we have in Texas uh, is, is less than it was 12 years ago. It's less than it was this time last year. And the economy keeps growing. Um, wind generation has really picked up. We have the largest wind fleet in the nation and, and one of the largest ones in the world. Uh, solar has, has stepped up tremendously this year, uh, generating as much as, as 10,000 megawatts on a, you know, one of these afternoons that we've already had. Uh, but still, that puts us really tight at uh, the peak demand of 77,000 gigawatts, uh, excuse me, 77,000 megawatts at, at 4.30 to 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, we're getting 13 to 15,000 off of the the top for the wind and solar because that's when the wind tends to die down and the rest is our our legacy fleet and the legacy fleet has has suffered from a lack of investment a lack of reinvestment and and the fact that most of the year these units aren't running and aren't needed so the owner really has not been making any return on capital those plants are going to continue to leave the the ERCOT grid so would people be told then, like if there were a lot of people who adopted electric vehicles, would they be told like, hey, uh, plug in from this time to this time. Don't plug in late in the afternoon. I mean, is there going to be like a schedule uh, eventually as we see more and more? I, I expect something like that, a rationing, if you will. Uh, and, and certainly we've seen some initiatives in Texas with that. Yeah, we'll give you cheaper rates if you run your dishwasher after 10 p.m., uh, Please don't leave your air conditioning on during the middle of the day. Ed, I don't like paying five, $5 uh, a gallon for gas, but you're not selling me an electric cars here too, if there might be rationing if, if we all start buying these things. Uh, what should we expect if you know we're in a jam here and want to start looking at, at uh, electric vehicles? Is, is it going to be worthwhile investment? Oh, yes. I, I, I think they're going to be worthwhile investments. Um, I, you know, given the, the appropriate profit motive, we're going to see more generators get to the grid. Uh, the Public Utility Commission and ERCOT need to work together to fix this market model that we have. And, you know, 
and it's not a market. It's a, it's an administrative construction. Anything that requires what eighteen hundred pages to uh, you know as a rule book of regulations, right. that's not a market. You know, a, a market is is uh, an unregulated market. A free competitive market might be the one for um, dietary supplements that we we see on late night TV. <laughs> um, I want to ask you, Ed, uh, because you, you touched on uh, these charging stations and not having to make it all the way up to the Collins Street Bakery to plug your car in if you're heading this way. Um, we had the big infrastructure bill that was passed last year uh, in, in D.C. Uh, every Texas Republican uh, in Congress voting against it, every Texas Democrat voting for it. In the end, there were enough Republicans overall who joined in and pushed this across the finish line with Democrats. Um, Texas stands to get what, like $408 million to put in these charging stations. They want to put these like every 50 miles uh, on the interstate. And so that plan is underway over the next five years. How much is that going to increase electric vehicle adoption? Because like you say, if you have to run from a hurricane, Right now, you're thinking, mm, I don't know if I get the electric vehicle. Is it going to get me all the way to where I need to go? If you know that there's a charging station every 50 miles at least, then you're much more likely to go, yeah, it's time to pull the trigger and get this electric vehicle. How much is that going to increase adoption to have these charging stations? Yeah, I, I, I think it's going to go a long way towards doing that. But remember, I'm an economist and not a psychologist. So this is this is an issue of consumer behavior. And when is this consumer going to be comfortable uh, enough to, to go ahead and take the plunge? Um, you know, living in Galveston or in Corpus, you know, maybe the right thing is to have one EV and the other uh, gasoline just, just for that circumstance. I think Jason does keep his EV at his vacation home, too. So um, he, he may have that situation. <laughs> So the solar panels outside to yeah. basically keep it keep it charged and and not need the fast charge. Well, um, here, I want to follow up something Jason just asked Ed because he's he's asking about the seven point five billion dollar uh, infrastructure plan. Texas gets the most money of any state out there because we have the most roadways. But is this federal plan getting ahead of itself? If they start, you know, building these charging stations every 50 miles and, and the grid can't handle it? No, I don't think so. And and this is what you know, the federal government has done for decades. Uh, provide the infrastructure, build it, and they will come. Uh, the, the Eisenhower interstate system was perceived as, oh my goodness, we don't need this. You know, this is just a make work type of thing. And, and Eisenhower had spent more than three weeks in a military convoy going from San Diego to Washington in uh, what the, the 20s. And, and he, he knew how miserable that was to, to try and do. And now you know, with the interstates, we found, wow, this is you know really pretty cool. Um, we use subsidies for air flight, uh, for, for mail deliveries that helped build civil aviation across the nation. Um, the flat screens that we're using today all really came out of technology that was developed for the Department of Defense. And, and so a lot of what we, we see developing um, uh, uh, years in advance of, of full adoption really gets a chance to play out. And, and I think 
mm-hmm. you know, getting the 400 odd million for Texas is a great thing. You know, I, as, as you pointed out, I don't think many of the Texas Republicans voted for it, but they sure have taken credit for it. Uh, Senator Cruz, Senator Cornyn, uh, you know, all happy to have brought home the bacon to the state. Uh, the politics of uh, federal money coming down to the state level is uh, always interesting. Uh, so, Ed, uh, if the federal government gets out in front of this, puts in these charging stations, people start adopting you know, more of these electric vehicles. And in addition to that, like you said, the Texas economy has just been going gangbusters and has been growing like crazy. But we haven't seen a lot more electric generation uh, coming online. Will this sort of force that to happen? Is that a likelihood that we'll actually see new power plants here in Texas uh, start to uh, kick in and, and, and be No, built? we won't. Not until the Public Utility Commission and ERCOT and, and maybe the legislature change the way our grid is managed. What if they don't, though, Ed? Can that be sustained? Can this kind of growth be sustained without some kind of new generation coming online? I think so. Yeah, we're going to have no. we're going to have more wind generation join the grid. We're going to have more solar join the grid. Uh, if we don't have uh, battery capacity and extended battery uh, stations installed across the state, we're going to be short for the foreseeable future. And what does that mean? These brownouts, these blackouts, these set your thermostat at 77, we can't handle it. Are we in for a lot more of that if we don't get some new stations? I, I think so. We're in a situation where Wall Street is not going to invest in building new dispatchable generation in Texas, period. It's not there. The legislature, the PUC, the governor, they all rejected offers by Starwood and by Berkshire Hathaway Energy to add natural gas fired generation units to our grid. Um, Berkshire Hathaway offered uh, nine megawatts of, of installed power with, with dual fuel opportunities uh, so, that, so that we could get out of a black start situation. You know, we still haven't addressed the black start issue across the grid here. And, and, and the and, black start issue too, just for our, our listeners, because this is important, is if the grid goes down, restarting the grid from scratch. Exactly. If the entire entire grid is de-energized, how do we get it back up? Yeah. And, uh, you know, this is a problem that happens in other grids around the nation. You know, the, the tree limb in Cleveland that knocked out the Atlantic seaboard, but they were back up in 48 hours. You know, the, the poor guy in Arizona who flipped the wrong switch caused a surge across Southern uh, California and Arizona. Their grid went out, but they were back in 24 hours. And and as we know from the testimony in, in February 2021, we don't have that capability here. And well, it sounds like that, the, you know, listening to you, that the state needs to get cracking on this, uh, but it but that it hasn't happened. Um, Professor Hers, how long does it take to build one of these if you decided today, like, yeah, let's go ahead and do well, that. for a natural gas fired unit, probably 18 months, uh, you know, citing it putting it in a place where there's already infrastructure, perhaps a, a substation where there's an old coal plant or switching units. Uh, the gas-fired units are really pretty simple. How are we going to be paying for this then uh, when they update the, the grid here in Texas? How are we well, paying for Well, for the, the local grid, for, for you with your wire and your neighbors, you're going to pay for that. It's going to be um, uh, uh, spread across the entire community of, of, of Dallas or 
Just, so like a little surcharge exactly. on your bill. I wouldn't uh, say little, Wheeler. I, yeah, I wouldn't say the, little, the, though. Uh, uh, well, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's probably you not know, little. Thinking back to to the the uh, the early days of cable TV in Texas, um, you know, Warner or uh, uh, would call up and say, "Hey, you know, we can run a line to your house. It'll only cost you twenty five hundred dollars to to drop it off the pole." <laughs> but once they had enough people in the neighborhood to do that. Then they would hook you up for free because somebody had already paid for that wire to be there. Ed, my last question: After you know, hearing from you about what things are like now, uh, I'm curious what what you think this whole situation is going to look like ten years from now, 2032. I, uh, you know, I'm I'm looking ahead and thinking that we're going to have at least half of the fleet in the United States either either hybrid electric or or electric. Ha- um, wait, ha- half, half of the of fleet? It, wow. I mean, it's, it's what I think less than one percent now in Texas. Yes, because as we're going ahead, we've got about three billion people around the world who would like to join the 21st century and have reliable electricity, reliable transportation, reliable petroleum products. Yeah, you know, they're not all going to get F-150s, but that's going to bid the price of, of hydrocarbons up and continue to do so. And couple that with the the environmental pressures that we have to reduce emissions, I think it's going to push us more and more into the innovative side of, of electric vehicles and um, the hybrid vehicles which we have. And so I think we're going to see a, a rate of adoption for electric vehicles really just jump dramatically here very soon. And going to Jason's point there, uh, so you see so much uh, more electric vehicle adoption uh, in the 10 years ahead. Uh, the, the cars are already at an amazing uh, point with what they can do. Um, but 10 years ahead, what do you see as far as the grid here in Texas? How is that looking? Is it pretty? Well, I, I think it has to be better. Um, we have to, to, to recognize there needs to be an investment. It's either going to come out of the consumer's pocket or the taxpayer's pocket. Um, you know, everybody in Austin knows that with an expanding economy, with an expanding population, this grid needs to be moving. And the only way we can get there is if there's an investment incentive for generators and transmission companies and the local distribution companies to to provide the new equipment that's required. Uh, Thank you so much uh, for taking the time with us, uh, Professor Hers. Really appreciate it. Jason, Jason, thank you so much. Okay, so there was a lot there. So, 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 Jason, um, I don't know if you're sold yet on an EV here, but, you know, maybe it is something for you to start thinking about that hundred dollar a tank uh, gas that you've been uh, dealing with here. Uh, hopefully your electric plan is all nailed down right now, at least. I'm getting closer to a bus pass right now. man. I mean, <laughs> this is this is insane because, uh, you know, the electric prices that he's talking about are, are going up. Um, I, I still don't think it would be as much to charge an electric vehicle as it is to fill up your tank once a week. Right. But that's you just know, what the numbers show right now. But I'll tell you, uh, you're you're probably going to get that electric vehicle, at least, you know, according to what he's saying uh, about uh, adoption of EVs, uh, yeah. just shooting through the roof, he thinks, uh, in, in the years ahead here, not too far from now, that uh, most of us or a lot of us are going to be driving uh, electric vehicles. And that makes sense because you see these humongous automakers. GM has poured tons of money into this. Uh, Ford is really coming at this hard with that new F-150. 
Tesla isn't going anywhere. I mean, these are coming on. Just wait, Jason. Wait till they actually start getting enough computer chips to build these cars again. And this is just going to explode. Here's my problem with electric vehicles, though. The F-150 is a good looking truck. Yeah. The Tesla is pretty sharp. The the sedans that are out there. But for the most part, these these vehicles don't really look that sharp to me. I they, don't know. They, they, Somebody there was an. Oh, a, I mean, there was I, no, no, no. There was a sports car or a, a luxury car maker, and I'm trying to remember which one it is. See, now I, don't I don't shop in your circles. Is the difference here? I don't well, shop in your circles. Well, neither was that do the Rolls, the 2023 Rolls Royce you were looking at the other day? I don't shop in my circles either. This was a commercial I saw the other day, and I was like, okay, now that car I would buy, but it was like a gazillion dollars. Uh, and I have driven a Rolls Royce before, by the way. It wasn't an electric. Again, either. it doesn't surprise me. I'm surprised you weren't sitting in the back seat of the Rolls Royce. But, <laughs> but you know, back, back to the back to the point here too. Car makers make these cars look like oh, they're from the future. You know, there, there's a, a BMW, and I hope none of our listeners have one of these BMWs. But it's a little small, smart car size BMW, and it's like blue, black, and white, and it's like supposed to be out of the future. Like just. Just make it look like a car. Just make it look like a regular car. And a I'll regular get it. old car that people are buying every day, and I will drive the thing. I don't care how it's powered. Uh, preferably, it's powered with something that's affordable, but just make it look normal. I don't need one of these crazy looking vehicles. I'm telling you, I need to find whichever car that was that was in the commercial the other day. You're, you're going to want this car, Jason. It was. It looked like a regular car, but like a really nice one. So I think they're figuring that out. I think that you know these big automakers... They know what people want. They're pulling people in for focus groups and stuff. They know. Before we get to our next guest, how are you doing on that beer there, Jason? It's good. I like I, I like a is good okay? amber lager. Yeah. Uh, how, how's your how, how is your uh, paleta de mango? The paleta de mango is is mango. <laughs> it's good good stuff here. <laughs> so uh, let me get another uh, another swig of that. But let's get into our next guest here because this doesn't happen very often. We don't we don't get someone of this magnitude on. I got an email the other day from the White House and they said. Uh, hey, would you like to interview the U.S. Uh, Secretary of Energy, Jennifer Granholm? She is, uh, of course, the former uh, governor of Michigan. I said, heck yeah, we'd like to talk to her. She said, you know, the White House said, well, great, because there are a number of things happening in Texas that she can address. She can talk about, you know, President Biden's infrastructure law that was signed into law last November, how here we are seven or eight months later, there's already uh, new investment in Texas because of that, specifically around electric vehicles. There's a place in Grand Prairie in North Texas in Dallas County. It's called Siemens. We've all heard of Siemens, the German mm-hmm. uh, uh, company, and it is manufacturing chargers for electric vehicles here. Well, because of the infrastructure bill, um, they're going to, uh, they've gotten a lot of new investment, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars of new investment to really ramp up production of these uh, electric vehicle chargers. It's something the administration clearly wants to talk about something they they probably don't want to talk about as much especially going into the midterms is the price of gas mm-hmm. so we talked about all this stuff with her are we headed for six dollar a gallon gasoline like ed hers just predicted there a few moments ago uh how big of a deal are electric cars now are more people driving towards them because of the high price of gas we had a good conversation with her from the white house the other day Madam Secretary, welcome to the program. Seven months after the infrastructure bill was passed and signed into law, we're now seeing private investment in electric cars and charging stations uh, in Texas and across the uh, country as well, too. I'm curious how you think this state, Texas, the largest energy producer in the country, how it stands to benefit. 
Oh my goodness, in so many ways from that bipartisan infrastructure law. But if you just look at charging stations, for example, I mean, Texas is obviously very large. There's a lot of areas of Texas along the corridors, the the, uh, transportation corridors that don't have charging. Uh, And so Texas is going to get a significant amount of money for charging uh, charging, uh, stations to be able to fill in the gaps where the private sector is not, where it's not working for them. And similarly, in a whole array of other areas that bipartisan infrastructure law is definitely going to benefit Texas. There's um, uh, there's not just the broadband and all of that, right. but we're, we've got from the Department of Energy, we are uh, investing through that bipartisan infrastructure law, $62 billion across the country for next generation technologies like clean hydrogen, which is a subject area that I know many in Texas uh, on the private sector are very interested in creating hydrogen hubs, for example, or carbon capture and sequestration to make sure that we sequester CO2 from heavy, um, heavily carbonized industry, industries that are, are emitting a lot of carbon. So it's uh, there's a lot to love and, in that bipartisan infrastructure law. Indeed. So um, I, I'm curious about everyone's talking about high gas prices. Do you think high gas prices might be forcing this country to transition to electric vehicles faster than the Countries' grids can even, uh, you know, withstand. I think that a lot has to happen all at once. So we've got um, there. There have been some reports of demand lessening for for gasoline. People are making decisions, of course, that benefit their own um, personal situation in terms of their wallets. But there, we also know that we need to expand the capacity of the grid. And we need to expand the ability to manufacture uh, electric vehicles. And we also know that if people are fortunate enough to be able to get an electric vehicle, and now there's a wait list uh, for for many models, but if they are fortunate enough to do that, then they end up saving thousands of dollars per year just on the operation and maintenance, as you can imagine, because plugging in your vehicle is much, much, much cheaper than obviously going to the gas station. We've had your colleague, the Transportation Secretary, Pete Buttigieg, on our program before and talking about the infrastructure bill, how Texas would stand to gain more than any other uh, state in the country as far as uh, these network of charging stations every 50 miles or so, but just because we have so many roadways here. But but experts have told us the Texas grid is not yet ready to handle everyone who wants to plug in their electric vehicle. How concerned are you that, that Texas's infrastructure might delay this rollout? Well, I do think that it's not just Texas. Every state is going through the same assessment and that, you know, it's not a light switch that you flip on, right? It is It is going to happen over time. But ERCOT and the Texas grid, they have to evaluate what they see as demand. And men, in many cases, um, in a lot of a lot of utilities are seeing the electrification of the vehicles as an opportunity to provide resilience to the grid, because what you're doing, of course, is adding batteries and energy storage onto the grid as as well as using the grid when um, you know when you're uh, when you're charging. So if you can sell electrons uh, back and forth from the grid using those batteries, that's a huge opportunity. I mean, in fact, Tesla, which just moved to, to Texas. Right has a deal now with PG&E in California to do just that, to create a virtual electric grid, which will provide uh, resiliency and redundancy to be able to allow for more uh, charging to happen. And I know the, the administration has this bold goal of, of getting half of all the electric vehicles sold by 2030, the end of the decade here, uh, to be electric. But I, I'm just curious in the conversation here with you, whether you think that that the infrastructure is, is ready for all that. It seems like a lot of things have to happen in the next eight years. 
No, for sure. A lot of things do. It's a really good point. And that's why in that bipartisan infrastructure law, there's a huge amount of money for the grid to make sure that we provide both resiliency and we add capacity to the grid to be able to take on that additional pull from uh, from vehicles. So there is no doubt that a lot has to happen. We've got uh, eight years before we get to that 2030. We know that the auto industry believes that they can get to the selling of those vehicles, but we have to make sure because a lot of charging is done at night. So we want to make sure that workplaces have charging so that there's not a you know, a significant pull on the grid. But on the other hand, if a lot of charging is done at night after people go to bed, that's a nice way to balance the grid. So all of that are what the utilities are taking into account, uh, as well as those who are manufacturing the vehicles and certainly as well as the consumers who are contemplating buying. Before we let you go, I want to ask about gas prices. Do you expect we'll see $6 a gallon gas prices on average this year? I don't think so this year. Um, let me tell you why. Uh, we The uh, Energy Information Administration, which is an objective entity that evaluates and projects what the cost of gas will be, says, now again, all caveats because the because oil is traded on a global market and anything can, can happen, right, on a global market. But if, uh, if things go as they are, they're projecting that the price on average across the country of gasoline will be about 437 by the end of the third quarter. Now, we are going to see some continued upward pressure during the driving season. This is why the president has called for Congress to uh, have a gas tax holiday during the summer. It's why he's calling for states to do the same, to remove the gas tax so that people can drive without it. Um, you know, it's still going to be high, right. no doubt about it. But uh, we want to do everything we possibly can. To even even it out, even as uh, we know global events are, are you know, impacting the upward pressure on prices. We're almost out of time, but I'm curious about the gas tax holiday. We've seen the headlines, but is that actually going to happen? Do you think there are votes to actually make this well, happen? I, well, there are a lot of votes. The question is, are, is, is there a majority of votes? And, uh, you know, when, when the president called for this, he noted that there are a number of uh, Democrats and Republicans who have called for this in the past when the price wasn't as high as it is right now. So, we're hopeful. I know that uh, the teams are working. I, you know, I hope that <laughs> I hope that partisan issues won't prevent people from voting for something that would relieve, uh, you know, relieve people's pain at the pump. Madam Secretary, thank you for the time. You bet. Thank you. All right. So while I was talking to the Secretary of Energy there, I think. Wheeler was texting his agent back and forth or his broker. I'm not sure which one. And he got the name of this uh, expensive vehicle. Jason, enlighten us here. All right? I, I didn't get the name of it yet. You're going to be disappointed. I'm telling it was a Porsche or it was a Jaguar or some people say Jaguar. Um, but it, I think it was a Porsche or a Jaguar. And I was just spellbound looking at this car thinking that's the next one. That's I'm getting that next. And it was had all these bells and whistles and it was all electric. It was great. What I was well, the just, Ferrari you have, though, is nice right now. I wouldn't <laughs> trade that in for, for one of these. It's costing me you know, too much in gas. It reminds me, a, a few years ago, just, just real quick, I always loved this ad. It's always stuck with me. I've never owned a Jaguar. They're nice vehicles. Uh, but it was an ad about the, you know, the brand new Jaguar uh, X-Type. It said, yeah. membership starts from $45,000. <laughs> membership. I'm like, that, that's marketing right there. It makes it you're, sound exclusive. You're not, a, you're not a car owner. You're a member. You're a member of a very exclusive club. <laughs> it makes you feel better. Um, this will make you feel better as well. What I was actually looking up there when you saw me working uh, here on Zoom was uh, gas prices around the world because, you know, sometimes it helps when you're you know really suffering when you're paying for gas to know that uh, we actually fall on uh, the good end of the spectrum in some ways 
Uh, Hong Kong right now, they're paying almost $11.45 per gallon. Norway, mm. 10 bucks. Finland, 10 bucks. Iceland, nine bucks and uh, eight cents. Uh, or uh, nine bucks. Uh, 11 cents. Hold on. No, that is $11 a gallon, $10 a gallon, $9 a gallon, $8 that a gallon. Lager's pretty, uh, lager's pretty tough on you, huh? You're not it's, used to uh, drinking beer. It's kind of strong there, yeah. But what I'm saying here is you, you just look through the rest of the right. world and a lot of people uh, are already at six and well above six. Uh, hard to believe that we actually have it better than a lot of other places right now. Yeah, um, politically speaking, that, that doesn't make it easier for, you know, for us who are going out to, to fill up. But, but no. for people who say... These are, are Joe Biden's, uh, you know, it's his high gas prices. This is happening around the world. And as Ed Hurst pointed out, I believe in the recording we had with him, uh, he said that this wasn't this is because of the tightening demand, uh, tightening supply, rather, with Russia. Yeah. And that makes sense. That's why it's 11 bucks a gallon in, in Hong Kong and Norway and Sweden and these other places. And what but it's doesn't feel here to swallow. Yeah. And, and what doesn't feel good about that is that you can't necessarily, you know, isolate the U.S. and just sort of work your way out of this problem, thinking that you're the only one with the problem. So the bad part about this is this is all around the world and this is not going to change anytime real soon. So. Sorry about that bad news, especially as you're enjoying, enjoying a holiday weekend here. Uh, you know, here's one thing, though, we, we, we want to bring up, and that is that uh, we're getting really close to the midterms. We keep talking about that and, you know, what gas prices, inflation, all that, how those are weigh on the midterms. Uh, political season kicking into full gear here, Jason. We're already having the uh, party state conventions and uh, Republicans just had one. And we're getting into that one next week in, a, in an interesting way. Yeah, Democrats are having their state convention in Dallas coming up this month here. Republicans had theirs last month in Houston. And this is a rare discussion. Our guest even said, hey, this is a rare discussion you guys are having with me. Our guest for the next episode is a gay Republican leader, a gay Republican leader. And he talks about what life is like in the GOP today and Donald Trump's Republican Party whether he has any trouble or not, who he gets along with as far as, you know, talking ideology and policy and what he thinks the party should be doing to improve itself. It's an interesting conversation. I, I know some gay Republicans. I, I've stayed in touch with him over the years, just covering politics. But this was really a good, candid conversation over a couple of Texas beers. And we really got to dig into to what life is like for him and the four or five thousand others like him in the Republican Party of Texas right now. Yeah, and you know, Jason, I, I always think it's even more interesting when a guest we have on says, I haven't had this kind of conversation, you know, in, in, since I can remember. This is a rare conversation. You always know that that's, that's going to be a good one. So we hope that you'll join us for that one uh, next week. And we thank you for being here with us this week. And happy fourth, everybody. 